Happy church, I welcome you back to your seats. And let us get started. We are taking a break from our verse-by-verse study through the book of Matthew, chapter 14. And uh, we are finding ourselves in uh, a series really entitled Hope for the End Times. And so in these uncertain times, it's good to be uh, well aware of God's promises pertaining to that time period. And it seems that we are very close. And so um, we're going to ask his blessing, and then we'll be diving into 2 Thessalonians, a book that is the theme of 2 Thessalonians and first is the coming day of the Lord. Now, Father God, we pray that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Father God, uh, as Jesus taught us, that apart from him, we can do nothing. And these truths are spiritually discerned. So we need the Holy Spirit's help to interpret them to our hearts and minds, to make them personal so we can understand them, put them into practice and live them out and be blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I got saved, as we call it, in the 70s, really only the last six months of the decade, because it was uh, June of 1979, at the tail end of what was called the Jesus Movement on the West Coast that spread really all over the world, and some crazy conversions were happening. And, and, and uh, I got to experience one of those myself, stories of guys having dreams and gals as well, and visions, and walking out of nightclubs filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what happened to my brother and myself. It was the start of Calvary Chapel down in Southern California. Pastor Chuck was baptizing a gabillion hippies there in the Pacific Ocean. You can Google around and see the pictures. Beautiful. And it was also the beginning of Christian music. Contemporary worship music had its start at that time and Christian films. And one of the very first Christian films was, of course, about the rapture, a word that we get from the Latin translation of a verse that says at the time of his coming to rescue us from the great tribulation, he will catch us up and out of harm's way. The word therefore catching up is what, where we get the word rapture. And so the movie was called A Thief in the Night because Jesus said that he would come, slip in like a thief in the night, take the valuables, and uh, take us out of harm's way before the judgment came, called A Thief in the Night. And so anybody ever see that movie? Yeah, about half of you. 
Oh, it was so awesome timing because, you know, we just come, come to know the Lord. I was reading the Bible and there was a sequel that came out right at that time called The Distant Thunder. And the storyline, of course, if you remember, it was Patty Myers, who was a nominal Christian. Nominal means in name only. So she said she was a Christian, but she wasn't born again. And so she ignores the preaching of the gospel that said, you will be left behind and go through the tribulation uh, if you don't accept Jesus. So one morning, of course, she wakes up and the bed is empty. Her husband's gone along with millions of others. And she had been left behind, just like Jesus said in Luke chapter 17, two people will be in a bed one will be taken, the other left behind. And then she's welcomed into the Great Tribulation. It's a call by the government to come together in unity, and the resistors, especially the Christians, are sent to the guillotine to be beheaded because Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4 says anybody who proclaims Christ and resists the Antichrist in that day will do so at the cost of of their head. And so that's Revelation chapter 20 and verse 4, just so you know. So yeah, there she was, welcome to the Great Tribulation. So I was at Bible college during these days, and while we were watching those kinds of movies, and one of the fun pranks was to, a bunch of guys would be like in the kitchen hallway hanging out there, and so they would turn on the water, and the faucet would be running, and the stove would be burning, right? with nothing on it, right? And so suddenly they would all disappear and leave one guy just standing there uh, looking like, what, where, where did everybody go? And the water's going and the, the flame is on there. And, you know, I, yes, they did it to me one time. And, and, and I do recall being somewhat concerned that I had been left behind. You know why I was concerned? Because I knew Jesus' words. And Jesus' words to describe those last seven years called the Great Tribulation, in Matthew 24 and verse 21, he says, of that tribulation, there's never been anything like it before, nor will there ever be anything like it again. In fact, Jesus says, and I'm quoting, that had those days not been cut short, not one person would survive. I was aware of that verse. So yeah, even though I would be saved, it's like, well, whoa, what am I doing here in a day where had those days not been shortened by God himself, nobody would survive. And so the Thessalonians are new converts, and they have heard the good news that Jesus comes to rescue us, quote, from the coming wrath, the day of the Lord. And uh, somewhere between 1 Thessalonians and a lot of peace and joy and encouragement, knowing that we're not appointed to wrath, that's a quote, right? Somewhere in between the first letter and the second letter, something went wrong, and now they think they've somehow missed the rapture and that they're in the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, Armageddon, the apocalypse. We've got a lot of ways to understand that, a lot of terms out there. The Great Tribulation is the term we use the most because we get it from Jesus. Jesus called it Great Tribulation. And in the book of Revelation, during the tribulation, an angel is speaking to John and calls it the Great Tribulation. And that's why that term stuck 
right? But the Old Testament, the favorite way to describe it is the day of the Lord or the day of God or the day of God's wrath. But you know what? We get the point. <laughs> it's judgment day and you do not want to be there and you don't have to be there. You know, the Bible over and over and over again, he knows how fearful we are. And he says, that's a special kind of tribulation that you're not appointed to. So encourage each other with these words. But them, they're not encouraged anymore. They were with the first letter. But now the word to describe them is terrified. Let me show you what I'm talking about. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 8. Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and a separate aspect, our being gathered together to him, the catching away. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy or report or letter supposedly come from us saying that the day of judgment, Armageddon, the apocalypse, the end of the world has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day cannot come. It will not come until the falling away. That's an important word, and we'll take a good look at all the different ways that is understood. Until the falling away occurs and the man of lawlessness, i.e. the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He goes on. He, Antichrist, will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped in the entire world. All religions <laughs> offend him. So that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now that you know what is holding him back so that he may be revealed at the proper time, for the secret power of lawlessness, yes, it's already at work. But the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he, the restrainer, is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, the Antichrist, will be revealed, whom the Lord, by the way, long story short, will overthrow with a word, the breath of his mouth and destroyed by the splendor of his coming. That is the second coming in Revelation chapter 19. And so that's the passage that we are going to reflect upon uh, this morning. And it's so encouraging. It's my favorite chapter in the Bible. It's filled with drama and action. And it's coming to a neighborhood near you. And uh, especially if you're not in the Lord and in the rescue plan. And so nothing more exciting than this. So let's talk about the end of the world, shall we? Thank you for those verses. We are going to dive in. And the passage that we read, it really divides quite nicely. Really, there's a heartfelt con concern, a heartfelt correction, note takers. And number two is a heart-stopping description of the Antichrist. And so the heartfelt correction now, it's the first few verses there, is point number one. He's really saying, silly rabbits, you can't be in the great tribulation because you're still here. Didn't I tell you? I spent a whole letter, First Thessalonians, telling you we are waiting 
for Jesus Christ, God's Son from heaven, who, quote, saves us from the coming wrath. And the coming wrath was not hell. The whole letter is about the day of the Lord. And I don't know how much more simple he could have made it. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. He's coming to spare us from the great tribulation that is coming upon the whole world. Uh, that's also in Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Just so, so two things, correction and description, and we're underway. Let's talk about that correction. There it is in front of you, verses 1 through 3. I'll paraphrase. You just heard it. Uh, okay, dear brothers and sisters, to your question, because Timothy came back and said they're freaked out. They think they're in the, they think they're in the great tribulation. Well, because they were being persecuted and times were tough. But the tribulation differs from lowercase tribulation in that it brings on the end of the world. It's in a category all of itself. And so, yes. Okay, dear brothers and sisters, about your question, let's clarify some things about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and how we'll be gathered together to meet him. Please don't let anyone be so easily panicked about uh, telling you about somebody had a dream or a vision or sent you a letter supposedly with my signature saying that we are in the great tribulation. Don't, verse 3, don't let yourself be deceived. For that day cannot come until the great falling away, the great departure, and the Antichrist is revealed the one doomed to destruction, and in the process, who destroys. So there you have it. We're looking at it. Let's dive in. Clearly, as I talked to you last week, and as most mature Christians know, there are two aspects of the second coming. There has to be, because it's described in two totally different ways. And so we have come up through the ages that there is a first coming uh, that nobody sees except Christians, a rescue called the rapture, the catching away. He appears for us. The rest of the world is clueless. And then the tribulation comes upon an unsuspecting world. And then after seven years or so, uh, there's his appearing, which every eye shall see. Let me just remind you, there's a couple things that are different, like I've been saying, the timing of the event. On one hand, we're told in Matthew 24, Jesus speaking... He says, about that hour of my coming, nobody knows. Not even I. I'm leaving that to the Father. He says, the angels don't know, nobody knows. And then we're told in prophecy that about the coming of the Lord, when the Antichrist proclaims that he's God in the middle of the tribulation, you can count 1260 days and boom, you will see him split the clouds. So which is it? Is it a surprise? Or is it something that you can calculate with a date? Okay, and, and then there's also the, world, the difference in world condition at the time of his coming. Jesus speaking again in Matthew 24, he says, when I come again, it's kind of going to be like the days of Noah. Everybody clueless, everybody saying peace and safety, people going out for drinks, people working their jobs, people getting married, going to engagement parties, and then boom, suddenly, that would be the catching up, right? Because how is the world described at the end of the tribulation? There in Revelation chapter 16, the kings of the earth are hiding in caves, praying 
that they would be spared from the wrath of Jesus and praying that the mountains would fall upon them and hide them from God's face. Trust me, my friends. Nobody's going to a wedding in those days. You see, so there's a difference. There's one more. The mode of his coming. You have Jesus saying, two are going to be in a field, one goes up. He says, I'm coming to take you to the place I prepare for you, right? And then the other mode at the end of Revelation, what? He's coming down. One has us going up, and one has us coming down with him. So which is it? Which is it? Well, this is what one writer said, an expert in Greek grammar. He says, verse 1 clearly shows the coming and the gathering, two aspects of one great event. Here's what he says. He says, the Greek grammar of verse 1 has two nouns coming under one article, which clearly makes it one event with two complementary aspects, the gathering together, and then the coming where every eye sees him. He comes in judgment. And so there's a strong word there. We start off now with, he says, we, we're asking you not to be unsettled, uh, you know, with his father's heart. It's a stronger word than just ask. It's more like entreat or to beseech. But those are words we don't use. What we would say is, hey, we re I really don't want you to give a second thought to this nonsense. You're not going to be in the tribulation. I already told you that. That's the word of the Lord. So please, please, please don't worry yourself. And so, you know, no, there's nothing worse for a father to, to have kids who are unnecessarily, especially, uh, putting themselves through panic and fear. You know, at bedtime, you know, you want to comfort their hearts because there's nothing worse than the tyranny of fear. You see, we as fathers and mothers, we want our kids to have peace. And that's why over and over and over again, the Bible says you're not going through the worst wrath to ever come upon the planet because I paid your wrath for you. The church is exempt. It would be double jeopardy for us to go through it. And so, yeah, they're, in verse 2, they're shaken in their minds. The word means they're to be um, blown off course to be a ship pulled off of its mooring. You see, that's what he says. So don't be so easily blown about by every wind of doctrine. Some guy stood up in a meeting probably and said, oh, thus saith the Lord, my children, this is the day of God's wrath. You know, look to me and all of this stuff. And it sounded really good. And they bought it. He, there were three things there that said, you know, whether it came through a letter supposedly signed by his authority, you know. There were all kinds of Bible wannabes back in the day, and they knew people loved the Apostle Paul, believed him to be the real deal, and so they would sign his name. And he said, don't be so easily alarmed. The word alarmed there is to shriek in terror. You see, so they're not mildly concerned. They're out of their minds with fear and totally justified if it's true. If it's true that we go through the end of the world, you should be out of your mind with concern and fear and worry. You should be. Why? Let me show you a sermon that was referred to, a very first Christian sermon ever preached, ever, Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, when the church was born. The first sermon ever preached was on the day of judgment coming, the coming wrath. That's the first sermon 
Acts chapter 2, Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit and he goes to Joel chapter 2. So let me just tell you and show you why these people are upset and out of their minds with fear. Oh no, we missed it. We're going to have to go through this. Joel chapter 2. Sound the alarm. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord is coming. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, goes to this passage and quotes from it. The day of the Lord is coming, my friends. It's close at hand. A day of darkness and gloom. A day of clouds and blackness. Moving on. Before them, the armies, fire devours. Before them, a flame blazes like a mighty army drawing up for battle. At the sight of them, nations are in anguish. Every face goes pale. They charge like warriors. They scale wars like soldiers. They plunge through defenses without breaking ranks. They climb into the houses like thieves. They enter through the windows. There's no stopping them on the day of the Lord. You're doomed. Before them, the earth shakes. The heavens tremble. The sun, moon, and stars are darkened. And that's what Joel picks up on. Uh, I mean, Peter picks up here on Joel, and quotes it in Acts chapter 2. He talks about natural disasters and cataclysmic uh, disasters. The sun, moon, and stars are darkened. The stars no longer shine. The Lord thunders, and the Lord's at the head of all of this judgment. At the head of his army, his forces are beyond number, and mighty is the army that obeys his command. The day of the Lord is great, it's dreadful. Who can endure it, right? And so Jesus answers that question. No one. For the sake of the elect, for those who get saved in the tribulation, the days are cut short so that there be survivors. But nobody can endure it. And that's why it's a kind of a separate category than, you know, oh, Christians have to go through hard times. Yeah, we do. But we don't go through this hard time because this hard time brings an end to the planet. And he says, I took the wrath for you. And so let me just tell you a little bit about, from Revelation, the description of what they were terrified that they were in. Okay, so thank you for Joel. Here's a description. Hail storms, 75 pounds. It says in the Greek there, 75 pound stones coming down. That's a storm. Blood mixed with blood and fire. A great asteroid goes into the ocean and kills one-third of ocean life. And that's just the beginning. The stars, he describes things that sound like missiles to us, falling into the rivers and the waters that poison a third of the water supply for Earth. The light from the sun, moon, and stars are diminished by a third. That's just the beginning. The demonic, torturous invasion. These are creatures that are loosed out of the abyss. A third of mankind is killed in one of the trumpets. There's 21 judgments. In one judgment, a third of mankind is wiped out. And then of the remainders, the Bible says a fourth of them in another judgment is wiped out. That's seven-twelfths of the population. So that's a little bit over half of what's remaining. And that's only two of the 21 judgments. Are you getting my drift? There's a great earthquake that nobody's ever seen before. Solar flare-ups that scorch men. Supernatural pitch black darkness falls. Ferocious armies that nobody can stop. The mountains are flattened. Mountains are flattened. And islands disappear. 
Now you know why. They were out of their minds with fear because they knew full well that Paul had told them at one time, you will be spared, I guarantee you. Jesus promised, Revelation 3.10, I will spare my church from the day of tribulation, the hour of tribulation that is coming on the whole world. I will keep you from it. I will not take you through it. That's what the catching away is all about. And that's why at the end of it, Paul says, therefore, encourage one another with these words. But something happened, like I said. Something happened. Let me tell you about not appointed to wrath. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8. He says, you're not appointed to wrath. Why? Well, check this out. In Jeremiah 25 and Isaiah 51, the cup of God's wrath, that's what it's called, that he empties it on nations he's judging. It's called the cup of of the anger and wrath of God, right? So then Jesus comes, and Jesus says, I've got a cup to drink. And in the garden, he says, anything, God, but the cup. If it's possible for me to not drink the cup of your wrath, let this cup pass, but nevertheless, your will be done. And he drinks the cup of God's great fury against the entire world by going to a piece of wood that he created because all things are created through Christ. Colossians 1.15. And he laid down on a piece of wood he created. He's calling the shot. No one takes the life of the Son of God without his own consent. He willingly laid it down and he drank the cup. And then what's left for Christians to drink the cup of wrath? No, he says, I got another cup for you. It's called the blood of the New Testament of grace and mercy and forgiveness. So that's the cup of salvation that we drink. He already paid for the great wrath, but not everybody has accepted it. So he catches his blood-bought, exempt from wrath people away. He takes them away, and then he brings down the cup of his wrath because they have not drank of the cup of forgiveness that Jesus did. He, he died in love to spare the entire world from this nightmare that's coming. But if you exempt yourself from drinking the cup of salvation, there's only one other cup you will drink, and you will drink of that. And so he said, look, I told you, there's going to be three things. A, com a command from the Lord, a shout from an archangel, and the last trumpet, and... Whoosh, a catching away out of harm's way, therefore comfort one another with these words. But something happened, like I said, and so some dude who said, God told me, God told me we're in the tribulation. And it went viral, and everybody's clicking on it, and everybody's scared to death. They're going, you know. And the day of the Lord, he said, you believe we're in it, that it started, you missed the rapture. How could, he, how could they explain away the rapture? Like, well, where was the rapture? Paul promised the rapture, the catching away. Why? How can we be in it? And I can hear them spiritualize it. What did they do to this day? Let's spiritualize it. What he meant was that your souls are caught up to be with him. Oh, no, that's not what he said. He said we would be taken out of harm's way. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And so... One writer said, the devil will stop at nothing from trying to seduce believers away from the truth. And the most dangerous and hurtful form of Christian persecution is this, is this, 
an attack on sound doctrine. Because if you don't have sound doctrine, now all of these needless fears and panics and they can't even go on with their life because they think they're going through the tribulation because they've been deceived away. Now look at your verse. Do not let yourself be deceived because that day cannot come unless two things happen and they're not happening because you're not going through it. Note to self. When the Bible says... You are not appointed to wrath. I am coming to spare you from the hour that's coming on the whole earth. I am coming to rescue you from the coming wrath, which is three quotes in a row. And you say, oh no, we're going through it. Then he says, that's a deception. Oh, today we call it a different point of view. (laughs) Today we call it a different point of view. But Paul says, look, I already told you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9. What are we doing? We have turned from idols to God to serve the living and true God. And we are waiting, I'm quoting, and we are waiting for his son from heaven who saves us from the coming wrath. If you leave that position and say, oh no, he doesn't save us from the coming wrath. We're going through the coming wrath. Well, then you let yourself be deceived. You see, we have a responsibility to not be tossed about, oh, Christians, by every wind of doctrine. All you need is a hot book, you know, and, and some uh, viral quote and Twitter, tweet, whatever, and, uh, <laughs> and off you go. And he says, listen, I'll tell you what, the day of the Lord cannot come because two things will have to have happened, and they haven't happened. Let's talk about those two things. Those two things are, number one, the falling away. Do you see that there in your text? Number one, there's no falling away. The word there is apostasia. And what it means is to to stand apart from, to, to leave, to step out of the way. Your mind should be already working there. Now, from the beginning of time for Bible versions... That word was always translated, I believe, correctly, as the departure. All right? So let me show you a list of Bibles here. And their translations there. And so you'll see from the beginning, the, the Bible went into Latin, from Latin into English. The Wycliffe Bible is the very first Bible in English. All of the beginning uh, translations... Up until 1582, the Rhymes Bible uh, had revolt, but the rest of them all stuck with the departing. Now, the word apostasy, their apostasia, like I said, it means departure. So it could be departure from truth and orthodoxy, and that's why you call someone an apostate who once claimed to be a Christian but is not walking with the Lord anymore. Right, So we would call them a falling away from God. But you see, my friends, if it's apostasy that we're waiting for the big sign, first of all, how would you know that? Because there's so much of that going on. And even Jesus said, you'll never be able to tell the difference between... Thank you for that slide, by the way. You'll never be able to tell the difference between a Christian and non-Christian. A lot of the times, it's tricky. He says, it's weed and weeds and wheat grow together they look uh, there's a form of a weed that looks just like wheat and you guys can't tell the difference so how would the how would the christians in thessalonica be comforted by saying oh yeah there's no great 
apostasy because it's so hard to see, right? And then the other thing would be a falling away from God, i.e. rebellion. And so a lot of translations have the rebellion. And my question's the same. How does that comfort us? How would we ever recognize, well, where's the great rebellion? Because the world's been in rebellion since Genesis chapter 10 when they built the Tower of Babel. And here's what they said to him. We're not going to spread ourselves over the face of the earth. We're going to unite together right here. We're going to build ourselves a city that reaches up to heaven in case you try to send one of those floods again. A few chapters ago, you sent a flood. You know what we're going to do? We're going to build a tower, a city to live in that goes up into the clouds. And you can send your flood. So how will we, and they've been rebelling ever since, so how would we know? It's the apostasy. Everybody's turning away from God. Well, that's a general sign. How about the rebellion? Well, how would we know? Everybody's rebelling, right? But it's a general sign. But how about this? There's no object. When you have apostasy, when you have the word rebellion, there's an object. So it's apostasy. You're falling away from God. You're falling away from truth. You're falling away from uh, righteousness. You're falling away from the gospel. There's always supposed to be an object there. Guess what? There's no object. So it just says, you know what hasn't happened? The departure. Period. Oh, now we're starting to think now. Departure? Who would be departing? Oh, the church. So he's saying, tongue-in-cheek, wink-wink, with a little wry humor. Yes, of course, apostasy and rebellion are a general side, but the, uh, the departure hasn't happened. You know what he's saying? He's saying, you guys, silliness. Listen, you can't be in the Great Tribulation. You know why? Because you're still here. We haven't left. We haven't stood out of the way, and that's what it means. And so that's pretty exciting stuff. He said, remember I talked about being caught up? That's, my friend, is a departure, is it not? It's leaving. That's what it is. And I believe, really, that's what he's talking about. And then to get into the meat of this, as he says, not only has the departure not happened, because once the departure happens, Mr. Wonderful, who steps in, he will step up, rise from obscurity, a 10-nation confederacy in Europe. He will head that up, and he is none other than the lawless one. That means that the Antichrist, which means against Christ or instead of Christ, he rises up. John gave him that nickname, by the way. He rises up, and the rest is history. But he is not revealed and cannot be revealed until the departure. And then he rises to power to solve the problems of the world. And so there'll be no mistaking this guy. Let's read about him here. This is the last point. How, nope, this is, we need verses four through eight. He will oppose this Antichrist and exalt himself over everything that is called God or worship. He sets himself up in the temple. He proclaims to be God. We're going to talk about this. And he says, come on, I told you all about this, but you know somebody's holding him back. But one of these days, that somebody, him, he, masculine pronoun there, he, the restrainer, the guardrails on the world that keeps us all from going to the end, he will be, oh, here it is, taken out of the way. 
kicking out of the way of what? Whom? Right? So just the same expression as us taken out of the way. And so scholars are saying, hmm, the departure, the one who is holding everything back, the one who leaves and takes us with him. Let's talk about these things. And so, yeah, he says, this guy's going to be revealed. He says, you know, it won't be Claudius or Nero, right? This guy's different, and you will be able to tell the difference. That's why, you know, you might be thinking, well, how will they know? There's so many wannabe antichrists out there. Like John said, he said, the antichrist is coming, First John 5, the antichrist is coming. But there are a lot of little antichrists out there. But the antichrist is still to come. And he wants God's job. Verse 4. The word there means to climb. He's a climber. Just like his father, the devil. You see, the devil likes to counterfeit and copy God. So God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Oh, you've got a diabolical version of the Trinity. You have Satan as the father. You have the incarnation, the Antichrist man. And you have the false prophet working the Holy Spirit as part of miracles, signs, and wonders. So, so much so that even the Antichrist, Revelation 13, is assassinated and he is raised from the dead by Satan's power. The dragon brings him back to life. And that, my friend, is when the world says, who is like the beast? Who is like him? Who could make war against him? And that's when the mark comes, and that's when he makes an image, and he puts it up in the temple, and the false prophet gives it life. And so it speaks. And whoever doesn't, and it's an image of him. It looks like him. And whoever doesn't worship in the entire world will be beheaded and martyred. And there will be millions of people who wake up. And by the way, that's when the middle of the, the tribulation happens. It's called the abomination of desolation. And that is when he breaks the treaty off with the Jews because the Jews don't buy it. The Jews will not worship a man. They will not worship him. And when they refuse to worship, he turns on them, breaks the treaty. And, and Jesus says in Matthew 24, when he proclaims that. It's called the abomination and desolation. Count 1260 days to the end. And he says, folks, who's hearing him in that day, Jesus says, when he does that thing, do not go into your house to get your car keys. Do not go into the house to get your jacket. Flee to the hills. Because those are the last three and a half years of human history. And then God dumps the bulls out. You see? So you see... This guy is different because he uses miracle signs and wonders. I've got that verse there. I think it's 9 and 10, right? The coming of the Antichrist will be in accordance with the work of the devil displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. I, I know it's a lot of stuff, but it is... Uh, to show you that he is very different from all of the other wannabe antichrists in that he does miracles. Did you know in Revelation he calls down fire and the world sees it? And that fascinating resurrection from the dead, the mocking Jesus resurrection from his dead. And so, no, he says, 
no, this dude is not around. And he says, you want to know why? And then he goes to verse 6. I'll tell you why. Because the one who restrains the guardrail, he's here. So he can't be revealed until he is taken away. And when he goes, the church goes as well on the departure. We're taken away because he's taken away. It makes perfect sense. And then once we're out of harm's way, he is revealed. And he comes up and he solves everybody's problems. And the only thing is, is he wants the world to worship him. So he says, timing is everything, verse 7, right? He will be revealed at the proper time. And uh, he is a person who, re who restrains and uh, coming out of, uh, getting out of the way, the way of what, right? The way of God's uh, wrath. And so it's such a, such a encouraging thing to think about that Jesus would pay for us, right? And then is the Holy Spirit here at all during the tribulation? Well, of course, he's present, but he's no longer restraining you see, my friends, remember on Sodom, judgment was going to fall, but Lot's presence in Sodom prevented the judgment from falling until he was taken away. And when that restraint, the church, the righteousness of the church and grace in Christ was taken away, in fact, the angel in Genesis 19 before the judgment falls says, hey, listen, man, let's move a little quicker up and out because, quote, I cannot do a thing until you are safe. So when the church lot is removed from a world that's about to get judged, we are taken away, the restrainer is removed, and then judgment comes. But we are safe with the Lord because he came back as he promised, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me. You see, that's not the second coming. That's the rescue. Therefore, we can encourage one another with these words. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your great love. Your mercy, over and over again, you tell us, we are exempt from the day of the Lord because we have been bought and paid for by your blood. We thank you that we belong to you and you have better things for us, God. Help us to not be moved from our sound doctrine and these words that bring us great joy and comfort. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.